I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric at home of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. Broadcast team, as well as Sirius XM Radio. Lance, thanks for giving us some time today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Sure. Uh, Lance, what's, um, what's the COVID situation for uh, fans in the stands on Sunday? Well, the Giants are not letting any of their fans come out to MetLife Stadium. They announced that well before the season. And owner John Mara, when he spoke to the media right before the season, made it clear that he's not even optimistic that at any point this season they'll be able to get fans in. So Washington and New York are going to be in an empty stadium with just media members looking on. And two weeks later, it'll be the same because Washington had also said before the season that they won't be having any fans in. Although last week they did allow for some family members to come in. And I think that Um, may be the possibility, too, with respect to the Giants. But, I mean, I think at least the fan base surrounding the New York, New Jersey market understands that everybody's going to have to be a spectator from afar, at least for the course of this season. That's right. Lance, Belichick assistants have had limited success at best when they've gone elsewhere. How has the team taken to Joe Judge so far? Well, I think they've bought in. Joe Judge brings an honest and blunt approach to his players, and I think all of them understand that. And they understand that this is a relatively young team, and he's looking to really revamp the culture and try to get this franchise turned around and implementing a winning way. But it takes time. As Giants fans know, I think as everybody within the organization can attest to. But I don't see there being any issues in terms of him trying to duplicate what Bill Belichick did. I think it's interesting when you bring up the track record of former Belichick assistants. And you're right, the track record hasn't been very positive. But I think one of the big issues, at least in terms of members of the media and onlookers, is associating the assistant with Bill Belichick and thinking that he's bringing the roster with him. Okay. You don't bring new England with you. You bring what Belichick taught you, but you don't bring Tom Brady. You don't bring the scouting department and so forth. So, you know, Joe judge, I think he's learned a lot from Bill Belichick. He understands the prep work and the intensity that has to go into that, but he doesn't have anywhere near the type of roster that he was exposed to in New England. So his mentality, I think, has been something that the players have adopted. I think a lot of the players are young. They're not that far removed from college. And I brought this up over the course of training camp when, if you recall, Joe Judge received a lot of criticism for making players and coaches run laps and not having players with their names on the back of the jersey. And everybody was saying, oh, well, he's just trying to be Belichick 2.0. But the bottom line is, a lot of these players on the team are not that far removed from dealing with Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban from Clemson and Alabama, respectively. So I really don't think it's been that big of a transition for the bulk of the roster. Do you think Gettleman had an interest in a reunion with Rivera? I don't know about that. I don't think that they aggressively pursued Ron Rivera. I, to my knowledge, don't know of anything that had a bad relationship in play between the two. I think that they got along quite well. And clearly Dave Gettleman and Ron Rivera helped the Panthers get to a Super Bowl. I think it was more of an ownership issue with Dave Gettleman as opposed to the coach GM relationship. But to my knowledge, I don't believe that they made a very strong pursuit for Ron Rivera. I think there were other candidates that they had a great deal of interest in. The parallel between the two quarterbacks will be interesting because they'll always be from that same draft. Um, How confident is the team in Daniel Jones still? How long is the leash for him? Uh, It's certainly not Colt McCoy time, is it? No, I I don't think it's Colt McCoy time at all. And that's why I think the leash is quite long. To answer your question, Joe Judge has been asked about this on a daily basis, and he has said publicly that Daniel Jones is their guy and the turnovers need to slow down. There's no doubt about that. And they can't continue at this rate. He's had at least one turnover in each of his first five games. Turnover differential was a killer last season. The fumbles most notably as opposed to the interception and you can't win football games. I don't care whether your quarterback is a polished veteran or a young guy. It has to clean up as well as his decision-making. I think Daniel Jones would be the first one to say that, but I also think perspective is needed in the conversation. This is where 
I think there's a big difference between Dwayne Haskins and Daniel Jones because Washington clearly is going in a different direction. The fact that you have Kyle Allen and Alex Smith who got into the game last week because Haskins was benched. I don't think the Giants have any plans to do so. I think they understand that Jones is still a young quarterback. He's a young quarterback that also has worked with a variety of different offenses in a very small sample size. Remember, he was with Duke and Cutcliffe, his head coach. Then he had Pat Shermer, and now he has Jason Garrett. It's very difficult for a young quarterback, and this is not me making excuses for Daniel Jones. This is, Douglas, the reality of the National Football League, and all you have to do is look at Alex Smith, a quarterback in Washington. Alex Smith, when he was in San Francisco, had, what, six different offensive coordinators in his first seven seasons, and it's no coincidence that things clicked once Harbaugh and Greg Roman arrived on the scene in San Francisco, and he was a completely different quarterback. So I think the Giants need to present that for Daniel Jones in conjunction with his decision-making getting better. But you put in Colt McCoy or you put in another quarterback, such as Clayton Thorson, who they brought in, who was with Jason Garrett, how exactly is that helping your organization in the short term and the long term? You know, those guys are not your franchise quarterback. So you have to give time for the young quarterback to develop and benching him, regardless of his struggles, I don't think that helps accomplish that feat. I completely agree. And, of, of course, the two, uh, the other big difference is the staff there drafted and wanted sure. Daniel Jones, which clearly is not the situation in Washington. Lance, it's early. What does the injury list look like for the Giants? Well, I think the Giants are in relatively good shape in terms of the guys that came out of Sunday's loss to the Cowboys. Lorenzo Carter is the notable one. He unfortunately tore his Achilles, so he's done for the season, and that certainly is a notable loss for the Giants, but you know they already put him on injured reserve, so he doesn't really count against the injury report. O'Shane Zimenez is another one of their young pass rushers. He's currently on IR, too. The only player that I think right now his status is up in the air is Sterling Shepard because Shepard is on IR. He's eligible to return the Giants wide receiver because he has now missed three games. But they also have had a few other players that have been on IR and they haven't brought them back immediately. So I don't know necessarily whether or not Sterling Shepard is going to be back in the mix this week. I think a lot depends on what transpires in Thursday and Friday's practice. Jabril Peppers came out of Sunday's game okay. He was the other notable player. He had missed the previous game due to an ankle injury. They had him on a rep count in Sunday's loss to the Cowboys, but I don't foresee him being limited this week. Other than that, like I said, Sunday's game, it was really Lorenzo Carter as the biggest and most significant loss. And, you know, they're going to have to have some other guys step up in terms of help a pass rush that, let's face it, Douglas, does not have a star guy. Marcus Golden's back with the team. He had 10 sacks last season, but it's a new scheme. I think to me, Kyler Fackrell is a name that comes to mind. You know, he's going to be a guy that is going to have to step up and a mixing and matching of some of the rookies that they brought in over the course of the draft that have mainly played special teams, such as Cam Brown and Carter Coughlin, who I think little by little are going to get more opportunities on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Lance is a lifelong Bulldog fan. I'm always a little disappointed when you guys draft him. How surprised <laughs> was the franchise by DeAndre Baker? I think it certainly caught them by surprise. I don't think anybody anticipated that he was going to get into legal trouble. It's interesting because when Dave Gettleman addressed the media shortly after those circumstances, he mentioned they felt as if they did as much research as humanly possible on DeAndre Baker, the man, spoke to Kirby Smart and the coaching staff, and there were no red flags. And, you know, we've seen that, Douglas, come up to the forefront sometimes throughout the course of NFL history where, you know, when you least expect, all of a sudden, during the course of a very unique offseason, sometimes guys make bad decisions and they get into trouble. But I don't think anyone in the organization would have told you that they were going to move up in the first round to take DeAndre Baker and then after one season in which he did have his fair share of ups and downs on the field, I think things steadied out later in the season when he became more adjusted to the defensive scheme. But I don't think anybody saw this coming. And to your point, it was a brutal loss because all of a sudden what resulted was a game of musical chairs in the secondary. And, you know, the one thing that I think has been a big struggle for the Giants over the first five games, they've got James Bradbury on one side of the ball, who clearly is their top corner. 
and that proved to be a very good investment. He leads the NFL in passes defense. He's been steady. They've got a big question mark opposite James Bradbury. And, you know, what I'm seeing game in and game out, specifically in the Cowboys game, whoever James Bradbury is defending, let's say it's Amari Cooper, then that's fine. The quarterback's going to go to the opposite side of the field, and he's going to see if a guy like Ryan Lewis, who now has taken on a larger role, can slow down any other wide receivers. So I think if you're Washington, I'd be stunned if they look opposite James Bradbury and don't try to attack this giant secondary. So, so Bradbury will travel, travel with McLaurin on Sunday. I think there's a good chance he will. I think we've seen that more often than not where they pretty much say, Hey, Bradbury, your task is to quiet the top wide receiver and then we'll mix and match with the other guys. I think there's going to be some snaps where McLaurin's going to see some other Giants corners. But if I'm the Giants, and this is just my personal opinion connected to what I think I've seen Patrick Graham do, when you look at the Washington receiving core, the one guy that I think puts fear into any defensive back is Terry McLaurin. So I think the Giants would be foolish if they didn't say, Bradbury, that's your guy, and let's see if somebody else can beat us. Uh, back to Bulldogs. Andrew Thomas is excellent. How has he been so far? Well, Thomas has had his fair share of ups and downs, and he's been tested against some of the premier pass rushers in the NFL in the early stages of the season. This is, once again, not to explain why he's been up and down, but you're dealing with Bud Dupree and TJ Watt in week one. Then you see Robert Quinn and Khalil Mack in week two. The Niners were decimated by injuries, but you still had to deal with Eric Armstead and Kerry Hyder has certainly had a strong start to the season. And the Rams with Aaron Donald, Michael Brockers, and Dallas has a plethora of guys, including Olden Smith, who has gotten off to a really strong start of the season. And you know from covering Washington, they certainly have their fair share of playmakers. So it has not been easy. You know, there's no off week. And, and I think fans need to understand this, people who cover the NFL. In the NFL, you don't get like a bye week in the middle of the season where you say, okay, your rookie offensive tackle is going to have it easy because this team doesn't have anybody. It's very rare that you go up against a team that doesn't have at least one guy that can capitalize on the matchups. And teams are starting to see that. Mark Colombo, who is the Giants offensive line coach, Douglas, he was previously with the Dallas Cowboys, and he didn't really have to work with a lot of young, unproven guys because they had so many pro bowlers in the mix. But, you know, he speaks to the media. And the one thing I respect about Mark Colombo is, you know, he's up front. He's telling the media what he has conversations with behind closed doors with Andrew Thomas. And hand placement is key, not allowing inside leverage to occur. And the reason why I'm bringing these two things up, it's a copycat league. So if you're Jack Del Rio and you're those premier pass rushers, and you know Washington has a lot of those guys, including Chase Young, who was drafted right in front of Andrew Thomas, you know, they're going to see what other pass rushers have done to Andrew Thomas, and they're going to see if he's righted the ship and can correct that in the span of a few days. So, you know, those are the things that I think Andrew Thomas is still battling. I think it's great experience that he's been tested right out of the gates, but, you know, in order for this offensive line to make strides, in order for this group to move forward in terms of run blocking, and giving Daniel Jones more of a platform and an opportunity to survey the field, there's no doubt about it. Andrew Thomas and the rest of this offensive line has to play more consistently. They show flashes. We're just not seeing it over the course of four quarters. You mentioned Chase Young. It'll be Montez Sweat on the other side. Who's lining up at right tackle these days for the Giants? Well, right tackle is Cam Fleming, who is the swing tackle, the veteran who they brought in in free agency. He coincidentally was with the Dallas Cowboys, and he was somebody that filled in for Tyron Smith when the Cowboys left tackle went down, and he's been the primary guy. Now, it's important to know, Douglas, they have brought in Matt Pater, who was their third-round pick this year out of UConn. What they're doing is – at a series at a time, here or there in games, they want him to get some experience. Because remember, there were no preseason games. So it's baptism by fire for a lot of these young players. If you had the preseason games, you'd play your third-round pick in a game or two, and you'd get his feet wet. They didn't have that luxury, and they are developing a relatively young roster. So they, interestingly, and you don't see this happen very often, where you're going to take a starting offensive tackle out of the game for a series, you're going to put the rookie in, and he certainly has handled himself quite well, but you can also argue that may interrupt momentum and flow and so forth. So I think what's going to happen with Washington, of course, a lot depends on game flow, but it's been the trend against the Rams two weeks ago. 
and the Cowboys this past Sunday is they're going to pick a spot for Matt Parrott to come in at right tackle as opposed to having Cam Fleming in for the entire game. So those are the primary guys that Washington's going to see. I'd say Fleming is going to get more snaps than Parrott, but there could be a series or two where they're going to give Washington's front a much different look. Yeah, I liked Parrott coming out of uh, UConn. I forgot that you guys had drafted him there. Uh, Lance, no replacing Saquon. How has Freeman looked early? I think it took him one game or two to get a little bit more comfortable in terms of the jargon and the scheme. But he played very effectively, I thought, at times against the Dallas Cowboys. He had a rushing touchdown after Andy Dalton fumbled the ball. So that is something that has been very rare, unfortunately, for the Giants over the last few weeks, punching it in. So that was certainly a welcome sight. I'd say the one thing about Devontae Freeman that was noticeable against the Dallas Cowboys is, you know, maybe at times just a little indecisive in terms of his footwork and maybe tap dancing as opposed to finding the hole and going for the surge. I will say this, of the group of running backs that the Giants have, and they're going to mix and match, Freeman's going to be the lead guy, but expect to see a little bit of Deion Lewis and expect to see a little bit of Wayne Goldman. Over the last few weeks, I think in the absence of Saquon Barkley, it's fair to say Goldman, who has not been receiving as many snaps and carries, I think is by far the biggest spark plug in the backfield. Every time he's gotten a carry, there's just a little something that he brings to the table that I think the other running backs don't. So they're going to continue to mix and match until they get a good flow going. The rushing attack is dependent on the play of the offensive line, as I noted earlier, and because the offensive line has been very up and down, the rushing attack has been up and down. They've had one really good performance as a team. That was two weeks ago against the Rams when they ran for a buck 35. They had just under 90 against the Cowboys. And remember, that was a game where they were leading throughout the course of the contest. It wasn't lopsided where they were playing catch up the entire game. So you know, they're still trying to get things moving with that rushing attack, which is imperative to provide more balance for Daniel Jones. But even though Devontae Freeman on paper appears to be the lead back. If you look at the breakdown, they're going to throw in Wayne Goleman. They're going to utilize Deion Lewis. And remember, if you're Washington, you have to account for Daniel Jones running the football. Prior to the Cowboys game, he was the leading rusher in three of the four contests, and he will take off. So Washington has to be prepared for him not just extending plays to get off the pass, but also looking to run to pick up first downs. When healthy, is Shepard still the primary slot receiver, or are they moving him out to the boundary? He's more? been playing a little bit of both, but Shepard is the primary slot guy. You're going to see Golden Tate in the slot too, but keep in mind with Sterling Shepard on IR for the last few weeks because of the turf toe, they have had to move other players into the mix. So that's why Golden Tate has taken the assignment in the slot. You know, he's Mr. Versatility on the team because they believe that if they could get him out in open space, he's very dangerous with yak yardage after the catch, which he's proven over the course of his career, whether it be with the Detroit Lions or the Philadelphia Eagles. But when you look at the receiving core right now, I think they're looking, and it's funny you brought up who's the main guy in the slot. They're looking for somebody to take advantage of that opportunity. They're calling up Austin Mack from the practice squad. He's now on the active roster, the undrafted rookie out of Ohio State. They had called him up briefly two weeks ago with the Rams. He was inactive. I think with them parting ways with Damian Ratley, who picked up a costly penalty that wiped out a touchdown in the Dallas game, I would expect to see Mack, if Shepard doesn't play, maybe get some opportunities out of the slot. He's somebody that can really run the entire route tree. He is a strong player from a strong program in terms of Ohio State. I'm interested to see how much they throw on his plate, assuming, of course, he's active in Sunday's game against Washington. That would be another candidate that you could see line up in the slot. Lance, what am I missing with Evan Ingram? Well, I think that's a million-dollar question, Douglas, that a lot of people are asking, and unfortunately they've been asking about it for multiple seasons. It's not just this season. I go back to 2019, and I was very high on Evan Ingram because I thought if he could stay healthy, they could utilize him in so many different ways that he's going to be a headache for – defensive coordinators and he proved that in the first few games you go back to 2019 this was a guy that became a vertical threat he had a very lengthy touchdown against Tampa Bay which was Daniel Jones's first career start when they went in a different direction from Eli Manning and he came out I believe it was the beginning of the second half and he 
had a short catch and run for 75 yards. And you saw what Evan Ingram was capable of. He was off to a career year in the first four games of the season. And then, unfortunately, the injury bug struck. Now, this year, he stayed primarily healthy. It's just been very shaky and up and down. I think part of it has been the concentration drops, which has certainly plagued him during the course of his career. I think the other thing that you see as to why his numbers have fluctuated, because we saw a very strong performance against the Bears in the second half, and then against Dallas, you see them utilize him as a runner out of the backfield off an end around. So, you know, they understand they could tap into his athleticism. I think the big thing this season is think about the personnel, Douglas, okay? Saquon Barkley goes down, he's out for the season. Sterling Shepard, I mentioned, is sidelined with a turf toe. So if you are a defensive coordinator, you're playing the Giants. And this goes back to what I was talking about earlier with Terry McLaurin versus the other wide receivers. In this league, if you look at the really good teams, the Dallas Cowboys, which nobody's great in the NFC East, but I use Dallas as an example because Dallas has Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and C.D. Lamb, as well as Zeke. Okay, so you're giving the defense something to think about. You want to shut down Amari? That's fine. C.D. Lamb could go off, which he proved against the Giants, and so can Michael Gallup with two great catches down the stretch. When you look at the Giants right now, if you're focusing on Evan Ingram, you're basically telling them, okay, that's fine. Let CJ Board beat us. Let Golden Tate beat us. I don't think the Giants right now have a number of consistent weapons, guys that have proven week in and week out that you should take attention away from Evan Ingram and direct it there. So until that happens, until the other playmakers step up, that's what's making it very difficult for Evan Ingram, and that's why the Giants and Jason Garrett needs to find creative ways to get Evan the ball, especially if he's seeing double coverage, such as, as I mentioned, the end around out of the backfield. He's capable of doing that, but I think it's a lot on the shoulders of the other Giants' weapons. They have to make plays to further free up Evan Ingram. Uh, well, tight ends have been crushing Washington for a decade, so I'm sure he's due for a career day. <laughs> well, but it's funny you mention that, Douglas. Believe it or not, the Giants have been plagued by covering the tight ends as well. Now, this season, it hasn't been as bad as in previous seasons, so I think you can make a fair argument on both sides with respect to that. What is the organization saying about a new deal for Leonard Williams? Well, they gave him the franchise tag, and they are continuing yep. the negotiations into the offseason because right now the deadline's passed. They can't give him a new deal. And I think both sides understand that Leonard Williams is still in that area where it's a prove-it type of year. And when he joined forces with this new coaching staff, Patrick Graham specifically, the defensive coordinator, as well as Sean Spencer, his defensive line coach, I think you know the big thing that they're working on is Leonard Williams – is a pressure guy that's capable of collapsing the pocket, getting hits on the quarterback. Douglas, what he hasn't been able to show, more often than not, is finishing, getting the sacks. Believe it or not, he has two sacks, which is tied for the team lead. So, I mean, that shows you maybe he's on pace to have that career breakout year. And he was working with Richard Seymour, the former New England Patriot, as somebody to help him finish the job. And also utilize Seymour as a guy to help get his body in better shape and fitness, durability. So all of the things that Leonard Williams has shown this offseason, I think, shows you that he's dedicated to the craft at hand. And he understands that this season is extremely important to him to also prove to the Giants that he's worthy of a lengthy contract. And he's also worthy of a guy that's not just going to be there to get quarterback hits but can stop the run consistently and also, as I mentioned, finish. So I think the Giants want to see a little bit more of that, and that was why they weren't in a rush to give him a long-term contract. And I think that was the best move for both sides because why lock up a guy just because of the fact that you gave up resources to trade for him? I think, Douglas, that's the worst thing you could do as an organization, make a deal to quiet and shut up the court of public opinion. No, now you give Leonard Williams a reason to have a little bit more of a chip on his shoulder to prove that he's the guy and he deserves the contract. And also it leaves options open for the Giants. If they want to reward him, they still have that in play. And if they don't, they can then use the salary cap to address other areas of need. I personally have been a big fan of Peppers ever since Michigan. 
How are they utilizing him in the well, new scheme? Peppers is a guy that they'll bring down to the box at the line of scrimmage even because they see his aggressiveness and they see his versatility. And they'll also keep him as that deep center fielder. He's being moved around. He's being mixed and matched. I think what's unfortunately hurt Jabril Peppers this season is the ankle injury that he suffered in week three against the Niners. And then he wound up missing the Rams game. So as I mentioned, he was a bit on a snap count in the last game, but the fact that they've been experimenting at the safety position, somebody new, it seems each week has been lining up next to Jabril Peppers because Julian Love, who had been the other safety, he didn't receive one snap against the Dallas Cowboys, which just goes to show you they're still in that experimental phase. You've seen Adrian Colbert is another guy utilized at the safety. Unfortunately, he picked up two unnecessary roughness penalties that certainly were costly on a pair of CD lamb catches, but Peppers is a jack-of-all-trades type of weapon. They're going to move him near the line, back. He also, keep in mind, is a return guy on special teams. He's on the coverage units. He's an energizer bunny. It's funny because when Jerome Henderson, the DB's coach, was asked about Jabril Peppers and how he looked in the Dallas game, he said it's difficult trying to get this guy to stay easy on the sidelines because he always wants to go back in the game, which is a great trait to have. They need a bunch of other Jabril Peppers. That's what the Giants right now need. They need those energy guys who are out there and they're consistently making plays and limited mental mistakes. That's what's really coming back to bite the Giants. And when I say mental mistakes, I'm talking about penalties and I'm also talking about missed assignments. So, you know, Peppers, you're going to see a little bit of everything with how they line him up on the field. Well, Lance, somebody's got to win this thing in the end. What do you think makes the difference short of scoring more yes, points? Stating the obvious, though that has been quite the challenge for the Giants, <laughs> in all fairness, in terms of putting points on the board. To me, Douglas, I think this game comes down to the trenches. That's where I see it coming down to, because let's look at both of these teams and let's look at both the offensive lines and the defensive lines. Both offensive lines are struggling right now. The left side of Washington's offensive line is a big question mark. I think it'll be interesting to see if Brandon Sheriff returns. I know he's eligible to come off IR. And according to the practice report, yeah, he practiced so today the a little fact bit. that yep. he was limited, maybe that's a sign and a step in the right direction. I think that would be a big boost, even though, of course, he would be on the right side. So they can be tested by the Giants defensive front, which has shown it can get pressure on the quarterback and stop the run. Then you look at the Giants' offensive line. We talked about Andrew Thomas having his fair share of ups and downs. Daniel Jones, forget the sacks. He's been pressured a lot. The Dallas Cowboys had double-digit quarterback hits. They're forcing him to roll out of the pocket and really make something out of nothing. And you look at Washington, I think the strength of the defense, which has been well-documented, is their front four because Jack Del Rio can mix and match. So, you know, right there, to me, that's going to define this game. If Washington's defense can be disruptive, if they get hits on Daniel Jones – if they can force him into bad decisions, getting him into those precarious spots, that's how this game tilts to Washington's side of things, where maybe Washington doesn't have to put up an offensive clinic, which clearly has been a struggle, but maybe they get a turnover. Maybe they change field position, and that leads to a favorable touchdown. I would say, Douglas, the same thing for the Giants. If the Giants could get Kyle Allen or Alex Smith, who's ever under center, to make a bad decision because of a quarterback hit, or a big play in the middle of the field, that's when you shorten the field for Daniel Jones and the Giants and you make it a little bit easier for them to score. See, people bring up the fact that the Giants put up 34 points against the Cowboys. Yeah, but let's break down the 34 points. They had four field goals, one of which was a defensive touchdown, and then of their two legitimate offensive scores, only one of them went 75 yards. Douglas, the other one was off an Andy Dalton fumble where they got the ball on the Dallas 17. I think you ask most offenses to score from 17 yards out. Most will do that. So the Giants haven't proven to me that they can go consistently the length of the field and score. That's why I think this game is going to be defined in the trenches. Whichever defense rules the way, that's going to win the football game. It really is amazing how similar yep. the two teams are in their No doubt about right it. I think that is well said. Lance, we appreciate you coming on so much. What do you got coming up? Well, the rest I'll be of the week? on the Giants program as I am each and every weekday, consistently on Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. And then I will have my Sirius XM Mad Dog Sports radio shows this weekend, 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern on Saturday, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern on Sunday. And then I'll be on the Giants radio network on Sunday with the pre, half, and post game shows covering this game as you will against Washington. 
This was a lot of fun today. Lance Meadows, everybody. My pleasure. Thank Thanks you. for having me on. Nate Coleman is back for his weekly spot. My friend, how are you? I am doing great. Another fun week to be a Washington fan. These shows would be a lot easier if they'd start putting up points and winning ball games. that's for sure. Absolutely. Well, let's get into it anyway, because that's what we're here for. The, they had a good drive. We'll do a little bit of offense today, not much, because, frankly, that's how the game went. Uh, I'm curious to know that when you guys look at the numbers and go back and study the tape, what is it that you can actually get out of a game like this? Or do you just throw the whole thing away and say, we'll start again next week? Yeah, I mean, I think you you have to throw away a lot of it. I mean, obviously the game still counts, but anytime you put in a backup quarterback, uh, you, you kind of can throw away the game plan you probably had because they're just different styles of offenses. But, I mean, you can take a little bit from the drives with Kyle Allen. Um, he showed kind of what he's always shown. He's He's – He's kind of volatile, um, but he knows the offense. He'll take what's given to him. He'll throw the ball away if he has to. He'll he'll protect the ball for, for the most part. You saw a lot of that. But, again, he didn't really have any throws beyond 10 yards down the field. Everything was a check down to the running back or a short pass. Um, but I mean, he, looked, he looked more comfortable. He, he, he kind of seemed like he could pick up blitzes and pick up pressure and get rid of the ball. Uh, but it, it's really hard in such a small sample, though. You'll have to see more. I would have liked to seen a full game of him because I think you would have had different results if he had played the whole time. I don't think he would have taken, what was it, seven total sacks. I, I doubt he takes that many. But, I mean, overall, it's yeah. a horrendous performance. And looking forward to playing a new team. <laughs> yeah, the offensive coordinator is taking a lot of heat this week, and rightfully so. But the game plan, as I understand it, is to do a lot of the two running back sets, throw a lot of short and intermediate routes to bring linebackers and safeties up, and then eventually take big shots late in the second quarter, uh, early in, uh, second half. Is that right or am I wrong there? You could say that. Uh, it's You can point the finger in so many directions with this offense. Uh, a big problem for this team, just since I've been a fan, you know, 20 years, they, they never have any depth at key positions. Uh, at receiver, you talk about taking the top off of a defense, you don't have anyone who can do that. It's just Terry McMorrin, and that's it. So it's easy to blanket him with coverage and just leave the middle exposed, and then you can concentrate on that area. But, I mean, the explosive plays is what everyone keeps talking about. Um, that was kind of one of the first things I looked at. But th they have the defense has given up 34 explosive plays, and the offense has only generated 18 explosive plays. So basically we're giving up twice as many as we're getting. And then when you give up four fumbles and you have so many turnovers, it's just really hard to generate a lot of points and explosive or big plays down the field when you don't have players who are good at that. You really just have McLaurin. And then I don't feel like they're really utilizing Gibson the way he's supposed to be used. Um, but there, there's a lot to point fingers at. Just you, you can look at the coach. Look at the play calling. Look at the players. I mean, it's it's everywhere. It's it's kind of hard to just pinpoint it on one per position right now. Why do you think they got out of the run game so quickly? How many runs did they have, knowing they couldn't predict the protect the quarterback? Yeah, they have one of the lowest run rates in the NFL, and a lot of that is predicated on game flow. What what I mean by that is if you're playing the lead versus playing from a deficit. And they play with a deficit more than almost any other team in the league. So when that happens, you're forced to pass it more. Um, and they're not bad at rushing either, especially out of 11 personnel. They actually are still averaging, I think it's 4.5 yards per carry. So, And the reason for that is when you play in 11 personnel, you have three receivers on the field and the defense isn't really able to stack the box like they want to. But they just don't – they don't incorporate the running game that much because they don't seem to be successful with it early – on in the game and they're usually playing from behind by then. And then it's just catch up mode. And it's really easy for a defense to pin their ears back and, and just, you know, rush the passer when they don't have to worry about the score. They don't have to worry about you running it. And then on top of that, you don't have to worry about the big play with this team. So really you can just stack the box, 
play within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage and just keep everything in front of you. It's easy to do. It would never cop to this, I'm sure, but if you gave them a truth serum, I have to imagine they're disappointed they didn't go after Hooper that ended up with the Browns. Tight end is a severe problem on this team. Oh, it's awful. I mean, the big thing you hear about, oh, well, they tried to go after Hooper. They tried to go after Cooper. Well, what was our backup plan there? Do we have a contingency? Who else did we go up after? You could have still gone after Hunter Henry, even though he signed that franchise tag. You still have the ability to trade with them as long as you offer him a bigger deal. So I don't feel like they really went out of their way to address the position or wide receiver for that matter. I mean, you're, think about what their backup plans were. It was Logan Thomas for Austin Hooper and then Dontrell Inman basically for Amari Cooper. How crazy. Well, I mean, well and I, I've been told repeatedly that they actually didn't go after Hooper at all. Yeah, and I've I've seen reports to varying degrees. I don't really, you know, I'm not there in the front office, but I think they knew tight end was a position of need. They just – this was a really weak draft class, and then the free agent crop wasn't great. But, I mean, you had Eric Ebron, Hunter Henry, and Austin Hooper. They're, they're good pass catchers. They, they all would have been a major upgrade. And I think the, the biggest problem I have with Thomas, like obviously he's not a route-running savant. He, he's such an awful pass blocker and run blocker. If you ever watch them, the few times where he actually does line up as a blocker, he gets blown up every single time. Like it's, it's very apparent on tape. And then in the run game, you'll see a lot of uh, cutback runs where they'll have him come across the formation as like a wham blocker. And all he has to do is just stop, stop the edge. Like he doesn't have to blow them up or anything, but he seems to whiff on run blocks more than any tight end I've ever seen. Uh, so I, yeah, he's been pretty terrible. If they just had an average tight end, it, it would be a lot easier at this point. Like probably would have been an upgrade. It, it's amazing that he just can't seem to separate. The one thing I thought for sure, throw the blocking out. I thought at least his athleticism would allow him to separate from linebackers. And it, it just hasn't proven to be the case. Yeah, you you nailed it. I mean, he's just a vertical he's a vertical threat and he's a big target, but yeah, he can't separate quickly and that's what you need in this offense when you can't pass protect. The defense gave up 30 points again. What is going on? Yeah, it's uh I think explosive plays are the name of the game. They've given up 34 so far. That's that ranks near the bottom of the league. Um, they're they're fairly efficient as far as like on a per play basis, but it just seems like the the big play has killed them. And then uh, obviously Titans have just destroyed them. And it's not just random for a, for a decade, for a decade, for a decade. Yeah. And I mean, it doesn't really carry year to year. It just kind of, you know, it seems that way when they're always bad. But the, you're right, though. It does always seem like whatever it'll be a tight end you've never heard from. They'll just destroy us. Um, but no team in the NFL has been targeted more by tight ends than Washington from a sense that no, like every opponent they, they play uses more 12 tight end or 12 personnel against them. So like most, most people use 12 personnel, you know, under, under 25% of the time when it comes to like opposing offenses, they use it 35% of the time against us because they know it's our weakness uh, and they just kill us with it. I mean, it's crazy how much they use it, but you're looking at Gerald Everett, who's a backup tight end, who's about to be a free agent. He's probably someone we'll go after this next offseason. But, I mean, he's lining up at fullback, running a corner route, and just roasting our entire team. And he did it multiple times with screens. I mean, it's it's like they have no idea that the Rams run a bunch of 12 personnel, and that's they do a lot of that. I mean, that's like one of their specialties they did last year. Tight end screens. Yeah, tight end screens. And what was interesting is – I'm sure you're going to ask, you know, how does the offense turn it around? Well, the Rams found themselves in a similar predicament last year. Not not in the same, uh, not nearly as bad as, as us, but they were just getting a ton of sacks. They could not protect Jared Goff. And they, there was nothing they could really do about it. And, and what uh, Sean McVay did to counter that is he stopped using three personnel sets. He used almost exclusively 12 tight end, you know, two tight ends on the field at the same time. And after that, they just stopped getting sacked. And uh, they actually ended up ranking last in adjusted sack rate on the season. So they got sacked less than any other 
quarterback. And that was because they, they, they saw an issue and they, they personnel was a way to fix it. And I think for, with Washington, I mean, that's something they might look at. The problem is they, they don't have depth at tight end to do something like that, but you're going to have to see some sort of drastic change to, to protect the quarterback more. And one way I'd like to see them do that is moving the pocket more. And I think that's something they're, you're going to see more of. Sean McVay is a genius. So it's not like he doesn't outthink most people, but they took away everything that we had on the defensive line by throwing quick, short passes. What can we do to make sure that other teams don't continue doing that as the season goes by? I think one thing I'd like to see is Landon Collins line up more against tight ends uh, and have him less <laughs> as a he, he plays the most snaps on defense every week, and he's probably the worst coverage defensive back they have on the roster. Um, he just, he's not comfortable back there. He's much better. Honestly, you could just play him as like a linebacker, but he's much better covering like linebackers and tight ends and then coming up to stop the run. So I, I'd like to see them rotate Kendall Fuller more at free safety, just, just a little bit. Now, I'm talking like maybe 15% of the time and then give the rest of those snaps, you know, to some of those other players like Curl or Everett. And, and Apke's going to have to keep playing too. He's really the only free safety you have, and, and, which is sad to say, but, I mean, that's not his fault. He's <laughs> He should be a backup player, and they have him starting. So, I mean, that's really on the staff and the front office. And it was amazing. I think Everett was actually filling in for um, Apke, uh, to your point, because you're right. Collins played every snap this week, and, and for the first time, I think all season, uh, Apke did not. But that means you have three or four safeties on the field at one time if you've got Curl playing big nickel, which surprises me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all about your- – and, and not free safety, not not fast safeties, but big box safeties, basically. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's not a lot it, – it seems like their scheme is to play two safeties deep all the time, and then they have – they honestly have like four strong safeties and not one free safety that they can actually use. So it, they just, it's like a lack of depth. And then the talent they have, they're just, I don't know. They're just not quite there. And Collins is even struggling at coming up. He, he's missing a lot of tackles in the open field. So like, I'm not sure what, what he's good at right now. Like when the giants really utilized him, he was a great uh, pass rusher. They'd use him occasionally to rush the passer and they'd use him a lot, like down in the box or down in the flat. And it seems like uh, it's a square peg round hole where they want to make him like a Earl Thomas type free safety. And he's just, he's bad at that. He, I think the only play I've really seen the entire season is that one interception by Kyler Murray. And honestly, it was just a really bad throw. And Collins was right there. It wasn't like, like he, Murray really just threw it to him. And you can look at a lot of our turnovers were gift wrapped. I mean, if you look at week one, Carson Wentz throws those interceptions right to our defensive backs. I mean, it was just bad decision-making, but yeah, I think Collins is just out of place. So I'd, I'd like to see the snaps cut down and I'd like to see him play in the box more. He can honestly be a starting like linebacker. He'd probably be better at it. I, I agree that yeah, technically the, the play said that Collins was at fault for the Robert Woods touchdown but I'd suggest that if any scheme that you run has Collins as a back half zone safety, it's not his fault. It's the coach's fault. I'm with you. He should be playing strong side linebacker, I think. Yeah, he could take those reps from like Thomas Davis or, or Sean Dion Hamilton. Well, and Sean Dion, I don't I mean, I haven't seen him in weeks. Yeah, he's uh, um, missing in action. Is it me or are they not running any stunts up front either? The, the, the pass rush seems vanilla. Yeah, I don't think I've seen a lot of stunts at all. And I part of that is they've gotten a lot of uh, pressure, so they probably haven't felt the need for that. But with certain quarterbacks, especially Goff, Goff is normally like – this year he's been excellent under pressure all year. But normally he's a guy he just – he struggles when he doesn't have a clean pocket like most quarterbacks. Um, so you would think they would try some something less vanilla, but I think they just expected their pass rush to win out. And I think they're they're missing Ionitis a little bit. That, that interior pressure is so huge for quarter, quarterbacks like Goff. They, they like to be in one spot. And Haskins is a lot like that too when he plays. Um, they don't like to move from that spot. 
And if you can disrupt him and make him shuffle his feet, I mean, he's nowhere near as good when he's trying to escape the pocket. Uh, I think we all knew that we would miss Ioannidis. I don't think we realized exactly how much. To your point, the line interior hadn't been the same since he's been out. And I like Timmy Settle, uh, but he's not Ioannidis. Oh, I agree. I, I think in general, whenever you have backup players, like there's this sentiment from the fan base that like if this guy was on any other team, he'd be a starter and he'd be a star. And and then you see players actually, you know, start and they're just, you know, they're fine. Tim Settle's a good player, but I, I think Ioannidis is so underrated for an interior defensive lineman. There's only a few players that can disrupt the interior like that, and he's one of them. Do you think that they're getting ready to make wholesale changes on the back end? Do you think they're willing to move Collins or sit him for plays? Do you think they're willing to move Fuller into the nickel and, and give Moreau more opportunities outside? Or do you think that this is what we're going to see for the rest of the season? I think this is what you're going to see for the rest of the season. Um, I think the coaches will just tell you it's a lack of execution and they just have to play better. So I, I, I can't see them making any wholesale changes. And then, again, they don't have the depth to really do that anyway. I, I can't see them being buyers either. So the, the, what you see is what you get for now. Um, and and I, expect, I expect them to finish as like a top 15 unit overall. But they just – I don't know. The explosive plays are killing us right now. Do you have the third down conversion rate? Where do we rank on third down? It's got to be towards the bottom of the league. For defense? I don't have to Yeah, because I, I was thinking when you said that, that um, the 30 points generally come off of turnovers and bad places for us. And then to your point, big explosive plays. And that third down conversion rate has to be off. Yeah, I think they were 17th last week. And then after this performance there – when I looked at all the defensive like metrics, they're in the bottom like 20 for pretty much everything from, you know, anything important like red zone scoring, third down conversion. A lot of those are in the bottom. Like they're good. Their, their, their efficiency for like pass defense is really solid um, because like they, on a, on a per play basis, it's, it's not that bad. Um, and they generate a pass rush so that, so that helps, but it's also skewed by who they played. I mean, they just, they had the best case scenario against the Eagles. Um, and that kind of just inflated their numbers a little bit. Um, but I expect when they start to play some weaker opponents, that it'll kind of round out. It'll be interesting to see like how it goes against the giants, but that should, that should be a, that should be a win on our side, but we'll see what happens. I'm sure they're saying the same. Yeah, thing. John Bostic uh, hasn't been great the last couple of weeks. What have you seen from him? Yeah, I think overall he's had a good season so far. Just it seemed like the Rams, uh, what they do a great job of, and I'm sure you heard this, is like window dressing. They'll run the same formation, but they'll run like four or five different plays out of it, and they all look exactly the same. So you can never – it's almost like a pitcher throwing a fastball and then throwing a changeup. Um, it's the same motion. You expect a fastball, but when it's a changeup, like a play-action play, you just – they're not ready for it. Um, and the, the Rams just kind of moved the ball up and down the field at will. I mean, they, they made it look very easy. Should the NFL adopt the college targeting rule so that guys like Jalen Ramsey, when they smash a guy in the helmet on purpose, get tossed out of the game? Or do you like the way the NFL is going? I like the way they have it. Um, I, I didn't think that play was that bad when I watched it again. Um, if you watch it, Kyle Allen actually ducks his head down towards Ramsey. And Ramsey, he didn't really move his helmet, but it's such a bang bang play. Uh, obviously, the players, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I feel, I feel like they're very soft on quarterbacks, and I, I don't know. I didn't feel like there's any ma malicious intent with that hit, but Ramsey's been known to do that in the past. But he was kind of interesting. They didn't use him. Uh, they didn't really use him to shadow McLaurin. They actually used him on uh, Logan Thomas a lot and in the middle of the field. Uh, which I found, and it's like I talked about, like that is that is where we throw the ball the most. So they kind of wanted to put him in harm's way to slow down our inept pass attack, and I felt like they really did that with him. Yeah, it's interesting. When I had talked to Cameron DeSilver from the Rams Wire last week, he said they really haven't been shadowing Ramsey this year due to the lack of 
talent that they had there. They tried to get their kind of like what we had talked about with uh, Fuller, right. that they actually play him in nickel sets mostly inside due to, a, a you know, just the way the defense, their secondary worked out. So, yeah, because I was hoping to see that matchup with McCorn myself, actually. Yeah, same here. Uh, let's see. We won't hear from you again before the game. You want? Uh, what do you think the game looks like on Sunday? So for the Giants, they their defense has been excellent. Their defense has been better than ours. Uh, what they do is they win on early downs, and they force the offense to play in third and long. And that's kind of how they generate turnovers and keep everything in front of them. So I've actually been surprised by them. I didn't. I thought they were kind of similar to us. Like I, I, I saw us both winning around, you know, five or six games and that, that's probably what we're both projected for, but their defense has definitely been a surprise considering they don't have a lot of uh, name brand players. But I, I think uh, it, it'll be interesting to see the, the offense for us. Um, we, we just struggle so much on third down. Um, we still rank on, on third and, third to go like we rank 16th in the league right now with yards yards needed to convert a first down um which is pretty normal in the league we we average about we need about 7.6 yards to go on a third down um most teams though like they seem to have you know around a 30 percent success rate 35 success rate ours is down below 30 we're like the worst team at converting third downs right now and if you look at what all those teams have in common, the number one thing is like a quarterback who's mobile, who can buy more time in the pocket. And I think that's something you can't just change that overnight for us, but I think the play calling could be better on third down. And I really, I think the battles can be won or lost on third down for our offense. Um, but it should be, it should be a close game. It'll be interesting to see uh, what Daniel Jones can do. He, he had a really hard schedule too to start the year. So I would expect him to actually pick it up. Like, I don't think that – I think the Giants view him as a franchise quarterback still, and they're going to give him every chance to prove them wrong this year. Whereas, like, I think Washington is just done with Haskins. I I, I don't think they're ever going to – they don't want to give him a snap again. So it's kind of a interesting dichotomy there from the same draft class. Thank All right. You, thank you, sir.